Welcome to Sarian Strategic Partners Podcast, a podcast focused on pre-transaction planning strategies and commentary for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives. Our team's mission is to help ensure that you obtain the maximum net value from your life's work. We work with you to develop pre-transaction planning strategies to help position you for personal financial success by identifying key tax, estate, and gifting issues prior to a sale or exit of your company. I'm your host, Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining. We have a pretty exciting webinar on tap tonight. Joining us is Madison Rice. She's an analyst at Grayscale on the investor relations team. She's going to put us through a presentation here, kind of just on the idea of demystifying cryptocurrency. You know, what's it about? What's its store of value, as they like to say, and investment possibilities and opportunities there. And then we're going to have some questions. Please feel free to chat in any questions that you have. We'll happily answer them as we go. But we have some questions for afterwards as well. So without further ado, Madison, thank you for joining us. Let's get it rolling. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Ray. I really enjoyed these conversations. And I'm super excited to talk to you all about digital asset space as well as Grayscale. So before we begin, I do want to make a quick introduction. As Ray mentioned, my name is Maddie Rice. I am an analyst on the investor relations team at Grayscale Investments. And before we get into it, I do need to read the disclaimer. So all opinions expressed are solely my opinion and do not reflect the opinions of Grayscale or any of its affiliates. This call is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed or used as investment, tax or legal advice, an investment recommendation, an IRA provider recommendation, or an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. At the end, as I mentioned, we will have Q&A, but if we don't get to all of your questions, you can always feel free to email me, um, madison at grayscale.com, or feel free to go to our website for further information. So let's get into it. The agenda for today is to go over the digital asset space, then step into some of the Grayscale products and our ETF conversion process. At the end, we'll uh, touch on how to access digital assets, and then we'll go through some Q&A. So digital assets, what are they? When we think of digital assets, we really think of four keywords. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, mining, and decentralized. Cryptocurrency, what does that even mean? Cryptocurrencies are decentralized assets that are secured by cryptography. The cryptography means that they're very hard to counterfeit or double spent. Cryptocurrency is the decentralized form of money that anyone can use around the entire world. This decentralized structure allows the cryptocurrencies to exist outside the controls of governments and central authorities. Blockchain. The blockchain is a public transaction ledger that records digital currency transactions on blocks. As a database, the blockchain stores information electronically in a digital format. Now, this differs from a typical database in the way that it stores information. So on the blockchain, we store data in blocks that are often linked together via the cryptography. Mining. Mining is the record-keeping service performed by computer processings throughout the entire world. You can think of mining as supercomputers around the world that are guessing letters and numbers in order to complete the transaction. The act of mining is what verifies the transaction itself. 
So the miners keep the blockchain consistent, complete, and unalterable by repeatedly grouping together new transactions into a block. Finally, I've mentioned the word decentralized a few times now. So just to hammer that home, decentralized means that there's no central bank or a single administrator that controls the issuance and supply of the cryptocurrencies themselves. When we think of cryptocurrencies, you often are think of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Those are the main two cryptos. But it's important to remember that there are unique use cases and there's thousands of cryptocurrencies that are out there. So let's go through some of those. There are four key use cases for cryptocurrencies. The first, store of value. When you think of store of value, associate this with Bitcoin. Bitcoin or digital gold allows for digital scarcity and a hedge against inflation. The hedge against inflation is implied because it's capped at a supply of 21 million Bitcoin and its supply schedule is predetermined. Bitcoin or store of value is used for peer-to-peer -peer transactions and you can think of it as a decentralized form of money. Second use case, decentralized applications. You can associate this with Ethereum and Chainlink. Ethereum enables the deployment of smart contracts and decentralized applications to be built and run on. Think of this as a programmable money. So like your iOS and your smartphone that anyone can build programs on top of. You can also think of Chainlink, which is a decentralized data protocol that's built on top of the Ethereum network. Chainlink allows for the transfer of data from off-chain sources onto on-chain applications. Privacy, you can associate this with Zcash. So privacy coins such as Zcash are cryptocurrencies that obscure transactions in their blockchain in order to maintain the anonymity of its users and their activity. Participants within this transaction are going to know the amount that's transaction and the different parties involved. However, the same information is going to be extremely unobtainable and difficult for outside parties. The last is data services. When you think of data services, you can think of cryptocurrencies such as Filecoin. So Filecoin is an open source digital payment system intended to be blockchain based. It's cooperative digital storage and its data retrieval method. Now that I've kind of given an overview of cryptocurrencies and the different use cases behind them, I want to touch on some of the risks associated with cryptocurrencies. So these are it's not a list of comprehensive risks, but are just a few risks that might be associated with any given token. So competition, token mechanics, governance, volatility, token distribution, and regularity. So it's good to be aware that unlike company stocks, where the share price will, be, will move depending on how the business is performing, cryptocurrencies aren't based off of this. Cryptocurrencies are based off of demand and their network effect. So the longer a cryptocurrency stays, stays around and survives, the stronger it still becomes. I think it's also important to now take a step back and look at the bigger picture and realize that we're still very early in the space. The cryptocurrency ecosystem is new, which means it comes with risks, but it's also easy to lose sight of just how early we are. If you take a look at this graph, you'll see the tremendous upside potential. The market value of the digital asset space is at only at 2.6 trillion, which represents only a fraction of the markets that it stands to disrupt. If we think of Bitcoin, it was officially created in 2009, which is only 13 years ago. We kind of like to think of it as a baseball game. A baseball game has nine innings, and I would say we're only in inning one or two of the entire game. So having considered the overall market, I want to move into some specifics of the actual coins themselves. 
let's take a look at some of the large cap tokens that you might be more familiar with. So core positions, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, have a combined market cap of $1.2 trillion. That's a lot. But there's also other cryptocurrencies that have large market caps, such as Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Chainlink that you may not be as familiar with. It's important to note the circulating supply of these tokens. So Bitcoin is at 19 million. Keep in mind, it's capped at 21 million. And Ethereum has 120 million in circulation currently. So capped versus uncapped. As mentioned, Bitcoin is capped at 21 million, which will finish being completed by the year 2149 versus uncapped, other uncapped tokens. Bitcoin, like digital gold, seeks to solve a peer-to-peer -peer transaction problem that exists within our financial institutions. However, you have to remember that there's other problems that other cryptocurrencies are looking to solve. We're working with Ethereum or Chainlink or Bitcoin Cash or Litecoin. Those are looking to solve other issues that occur within the traditional financial market. And it's not just Bitcoin and Ethereum. So just like any other asset class, it's important to consider diversification. So you may be familiar with these larger cap coins, but let's dive into some of the smaller cap coins that you might not be as familiar with. The total market crypto market cap is $1.9 trillion. You might hear some buzzwords such as NFTs, DeFi, privacy tokens. What are those? It's important to think of those when you're considering a diversification within your crypto portfolio. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. Its digital assets are collectibles such as gaming and art that are exchanged over the blockchain platforms. You might also hear the word DeFi, which means decentralized finance. This refers to financial applications that are built on top of the blockchain that enable digital transactions between multiple parties. Essentially, DeFi removes the control that banks and institutions have on money, financial products, and the overall financial services industry. Privacy tokens, as I mentioned previously, are cryptocurrencies that obscure transactions on their blockchain to maintain the anonymity of its users and their activity. A lot of these smaller cap tokens are built on top of the Ethereum network. So some names to be aware of within the Ethereum network are BAT, Filecoin, Zcash, and Decentraland. Now that I've taken a look at an overview of the digital asset space, I want to get into Grayscale products and the ETF conversion process. So Grayscale manages approximately 40 billion assets under management, which is spread across 18 different investment vehicles that offer clients exposure to either a single cryptocurrency or a diversified basket of cryptocurrencies. Grayscale's mission is to help educate and help others understand the digital asset space and to help investors gain exposure to the underlying cryptocurrencies in the form of a security. So let's walk through the Grayscale product lifecycle. The first step in all of our all of our products is to is they begin as private placements. So the private placements are offered to accredited investors that can buy shares at the net asset value. There's then a mandatory holding period of six to twelve months and a minimum investment size. You may be thinking, I might own some grayscale in my brokerage account, and I don't believe I went through the private placement process. That's where step two comes in. So after one year, Grayscale seeks a public quotation um, on the over-the-counter market. The public quotation then offers these private placement investors with the opportunity to sell their shares and get liquid out of their investment. 
These then can be purchased by accredited and retail investors through the brokerage account of Fidelity, Schwab, or wherever you hold your assets. The public quotations don't have any minimums or, or holding periods involved. The third step is to turn our products into SEC reporting companies, which means SEC reporting products, which means that we file Form 10 with the SEC. This provides our regulators and our investors with the highest level of transparency. And it also allows the private placement investors to be reduced from 12 months down to six months. And then the fourth step, our ETF conversion process. So we're currently working on making our products into exchange-traded funds or ETFs. We've initiated this process for the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust or GBTC through the filing of 19 v 4 with the SEC in October of 2021. Once it's approved, the GBTC will be, become a physically backed, settled spot Bitcoin ETF. Now I want to get into some advantages of using the Grayscale products. So compared to digital assets, Grayscale, by purchasing Grayscale products, you have some clear advantages, especially for investors that are just entering the digital currency space. Our products offer unique, are unique in the way that they provide access to digital currency asset class in the form of a security. Grayscale products help you gain digital currency exposure without the challenges of creating a wallet or holding the digital currency outright directly. It also alleviates the pressure of actually holding and being responsible for the crypto yourself as all of our products are held offline in cold storage with our custodian. So how can you gain access to these products? There's many ways to gain access to digital assets. Exchanges, fintech companies, private placements, public quotations, derivatives, just to name a few. But to prevent you from dealing with the headaches and frictions of digital assets on your own, you can purchase Grayscale products through low minimums and straightforward fee structure. You can purchase it just like you would any other stock through your Fidelity or Schwab account. And there's also a tax advantage. A lot of people don't know that they can purchase our products through an IRA account, which allows you that tax advantage and you can gain the crypto exposure as well. So I know we've covered a lot. Feel free to you know, reach out to me. I know we have a Q&A coming up, but if we, there are other questions, again, feel free to reach out to me at madison at grayscale.com or to go to the Grayscale website. So Madison, first question straight off from one of the listeners here. What's going to happen once Bitcoin hits 21 million and then more Bitcoin are mined? Or, or what's that process like once they hit that cap? Sure. So it's capped at 21 it's capped at 21 million, which means it provides a scarcity for the coin itself. Again, it's a hedge against inflation. So it is capped, and that's the whole point behind the cryptocurrency. But other cryptocurrencies were created, such as Ethereum, which aren't capped. So you have both the capped and uncapped structure. So it's hard to say what the price will look like when it gets to that point in time. But I think there is a little bit of um, investors like the fact that Bitcoin is capped at 21 million. And then you also have the option of purchasing uncapped coins. As far as the mining process itself and validating the transactions, which typically obviously that involves some reward, right? For every block that you create. So what you know, what would happen at that point in time with the blocks and the rewards if it's if it's capped out? How do, how would they account for that? Sure. So when you work with the rewards, so proof of work or proof of stake. When you're staking, that really means you're lending out your Bitcoin and the proof, or you're lending out your crypto in the in the process. So proof of work is a centralized mechanism that requires members of the network to solve arbitrary mathematical puzzles in order to prevent anyone from gaming the system. This is widely used in cryptocurrency mining for validating those transactions and new tokens. 
There's also proof of stake, which was created as an alternative of proof of work, which is really used to validate the blockchain and add new blocks. So proof of stake is a little bit of a less risky in terms of the potential for attack of the network. And it structures compensation in the way that it makes attack less advantages. So proof of stake, if you wanted to stake your cryptocurrency, you can do that by lending it and earning yield on it. So I, I guess I'll, I'll skip to a question kind of talking more proof of work, proof of stake. But, you know, Ethereum, as you mentioned, the other major cryptocurrency that people think of when, when they think of cryptocurrency is, is going to merge, merge its platform, ultimately going to a, a proof of stake platform from a mining perspective, it's going to be using less energy resources to do so, right? You talked about the supercomputers that it takes to mine and validate transactions in a proof of work function. But when your proof of stake, uh, like you were describing, the energy levels needed to complete this process are, are much less and more environmentally friendly in that regard. So do you think the Ethereum merge when that process happens, you know, it's supposed to be in the next few months, um, mm -hmm. how will that affect it from a price standpoint and or will it catapult it over Bitcoin? Like what, what's the thought process there? Yeah, sure. So Ethereum 2.0 essentially is an upgrade to Ethereum on a number of different levels. So its primary objective is to increase Ethereum's capacity for transactions, reduce the fees, and make the network more sustainable. So with its shift from proof of work to proof of stake, this will make the staking more attractive of Ethereum and a new way for investors who own Ethereum to earn yield on their actual Ethereum. I think that it's important to remember that there's two different use cases for Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Bitcoin digital gold store of value Whereas Ethereum has a totally different purpose. It's decentralized applications. So comparably, I don't think that it will really affect the price of Bitcoin and catapult it over Bitcoin. It could. Um, I can't give a price prediction on that. But I think it's only a good thing and it will help you know, upgrade the actual Ethereum network. So I guess kind of in that vein, as far as going out into the future, right? I think when investors or, or our clients would say, hey, Cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile. Like you described, it's very, it's a very new technology, barely 13 years old. Right. Going out into the future, it's should I be invested in one or a basket? And, you know, is there foresee a singular currency rising above the herd where, like we talk about, Ethereum potentially dominates and that's it and kind of wipes right. everyone out? Or would you think, you know, there could be dozens or hundreds of cryptocurrencies that have their special use purposes or, or unique purposes? Kind of where do you foresee all this going? I know that's a ridiculous question. So <laughs> the next 10 years, like, what do you think is the most likely base case? Yeah, of course. No, I wish I had a crystal ball and could predict which one will be the clear winners. But like you said, the cryptocurrency space is ever-changing and adapting. I think Bitcoin and Ethereum, which have been around the longest, have really proven themselves to be key winners in the space. However, like I mentioned earlier, it's still really early in the game. There are other cryptocurrencies that provide competition, such as Solana provides competition to Ethereum. So it's really hard to predict which future, what the future crypto market will look like. But I personally think that right now we're seeing thousands of cryptocurrencies where in the future, I think it will be hundreds um, instead of thousands because I think there will be some clear winners and some losers that you know lean out towards the end. So the other thing from an investor standpoint, obviously the volatility in the crypto market is is very material, right? You know, with even in a period of a couple months, you could be down 25% or more, uh, depending on what cryptocurrency you, you've bought and what you're tracking there. But 
What are some other pressures? You kind of mentioned them early in the presentation that could limit a full adoption of crypto or or hurt the price of Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of these other cryptocurrencies. Obviously, environmental concerns, people are bringing that up from mining, like a digital fiat currency. If there was a digital dollar, that would create some competition. So what are some things that could kind of derail this crypto chain, you think, in the next few years? Definitely. So it's important to remember that the cryptocurrency ecosystem is a profit-driven endeavor, which can be turned on and off depending on the availability of the energy. It's estimated that more than 70% of Bitcoin mining is from renewable resources, which is often using the excess supply that would otherwise go to waste. And Bitcoin uses less than 0.1% of human energy production worldwide. So really, in the grand scheme of things, the carbon emissions emitted by electricity providers supplying the Bitcoin mining network are inconsequential. I would say that's definitely you know a concern and something to be aware of, but it's really in the grand scheme of things... I don't think that big of a deal. As far as government regulation goes, that's definitely top of mind, especially for us in our ETF conversion process. But we welcome it into the crypto community because it helps to enforce that the crypto market is here to stay and it's not just you know a joke asset. And then as far as the digital dollar, I think if we were to come out with a digital dollar from the US government, I think it wouldn't really give Bitcoin a run for its money because the whole point of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized, whereas the crypt, the digital dollar wouldn't be, it would be controlled by the government. So another question here, and hopefully I can nail this in the way that it's intended, <laughs> but anticipated liquidity to a more widely accepted currency, which would be the US dollar. I guess you kind of answer that to some degree with the digital dollar, but as far as the off-ramps, I guess, to some degree, you're in Bitcoin and you're in Bitcoin, but then getting an off-ramp to it via an exchange, it's it's not it's not as simple or as clean, I guess, as some people would like. So what is there any anticipation for, I guess, more wide, widely acceptable liquidity or anticipated liquidity with a digital dollar or something like that? Definitely a possibility. Um, it's hard to say how that will come into effect. With the digital dollar, I don't know what that would look like. I think that right now it's actually been made pretty easy to purchase Bitcoin on you know, an exchange or open up a digital wallet through an account. I don't know what the digital dollar landscape would look like, but I have to think that you know, Bitcoin would be easier actually for investors to purchase than actually having it holding a digital wallet and it being regulated by the government. So last question, and you kind of, you touched on it pretty significantly, I would say, as far as the legitimacy of the ETF product and and the timing of that, I guess that's kind of up in the air to some degrees that within a quarter or two, or what's, you know, the ultimate anticipation there moving? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Honestly, we're anxiously waiting at a grayscale, but our 19B4 application is currently in front of the SEC. And we're doing everything we can from our perspective to get that approved. This includes our SEC letter campaign, where we're encouraging investors to voice their opinion to the SEC regarding our Bitcoin spot ETF application. The deadline for the SEC to approve or deny our application is July 6th. So we're doing everything we can until that date to get it approved. But until then, it's really in the hands of the SEC. Madison, that was pretty much all that we had from a Q&A standpoint. So I, I think you did a pretty good job answering all those questions there. For the rest of our listeners, we do have a, a white paper as far as demystifying crypto, just the basics on crypto and how investors should be thinking about it in their portfolios and, and moving forward. And that'll be coming out 
in the next couple of days. And also this presentation is being recorded and that will also be released via email in the next couple of days. So again, Madison, we thank you for the time. And for those that have tuned in, uh, we appreciate it. And feel free to reach out uh, to anyone on the team if you have any further questions and we'd be happier to answer them. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Sarian Strategic Partners is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Sarian Strategic Partners and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims, and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Sarian Strategic Partners and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.